and I'm a Cancer Hope Coach. I'm also an immunotherapy advocate, and I'm on the Big Mouth Pharmacist podcast. My biggest pet peeve of being an immunotherapy patient is that people presume that you are healthy because you do not lose your hair. They don't take cancer seriously, and it's really a burden on an immunotherapy patient because nobody realizes the tough journey that they are going through. A chemo patient losing their hair is really, really difficult and very emotional for them. And at the same time, it's in people's face. They see it. With an immunotherapy patient, people don't see it. That was the hardest part of my journey, was how difficult the weird, stupid, terrible things that people said to me. Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic pharmacist in Big Mouth. Hoping y'all had a great Thanksgiving. Today's Black Friday, so I hope you're not part of any of the riots involving Tickle Me Elmo's or whatever children are playing with these days, right? And on a serious note, if you're out and people are acting wild in the stores, please use caution. Always record in landscape mode and get it online as soon as possible. Turn your phone sideways practice safe recording. I'm a little extra silly today because I'm speaking on a heavy subject. Today we have Tara Ryan, a stage four cancer survivor. Heavy, right? Right? So Tara is a cancer hope coach where she teaches people how to best proceed after that critical news has been delivered. Uh, her story is pretty amazing and her success comes from two major sources. One, she helped pioneer a unique immunotherapy, but this is the big one. She supported her body aggressively, and that, as many of her doctors told her, was truly remarkable. So again, we're talking about cancer, but we're trying to keep the conversation light. So I hope you enjoy. I think that the listeners would best understand what your future role and, and vision in the cancer space is, is if they understood where you've been and and, exactly. and where you're, you know, what experiences you've had and what you can bring to the table from an enlightenment standpoint around so many of the different topics that kind of come packaged with a cancer diagnosis. So why don't you walk us through those steps and what's happened in your past and, and what got you to here? Well, before cancer, I was a normal, hardworking person, single mom, taking care of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, was a dancer, a, a social tango dancer in salsa and had a pretty happy life. Mm-hmm. I never never thought I would have cancer. And then in 2015, I was diagnosed with melanoma. Um, The first year I had surgery, I was considered Mm cancer-free. And truthfully, looking back, I realized that I was no... I wish I'd never been told I was cancer-free. Why? Because I actually just went back to life as normal. Got it. And what was life as normal for you? Life as normal was working hard, uh, eating on the run. Mm Mm-hmm. Eating fast food when I had to in between. Yeah. Um, you know, not really eating properly. I mm-hmm. thought I was, but I wasn't. Um, of course, you know, having fun and dancing, which was great. Yeah. But um, I thought I was healthy, so I really didn't. I had a picture of what I thought healthy was. Right. And and for me, it's a, this is always the conversation that I like to have with people is that um, I feel as soon as I... St- I get somebody newly diagnosed with cancer. That's when 
the healthy lifestyle kicks into full gear and they start really checking off all the boxes. Exactly. And, and the best thing that anyone can do is to tell people, no, <laughs> that's the opposite of what you want to have happen. Uh, and in fact, at, at that point, it's going to be very helpful. And we're going to talk about that and how living a holistic life um, helped you. But it's, you know, there's a lot of damage that's already been done. That's very difficult to undo in such a short amount of time with an unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah, I'd like to share that I actually had a friend, a dear friend, who kept telling me for several years, Tara, something's wrong, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I had, um, looking back, I was a coffeeaholic, and yeah. I chewed gum all the time. Well, gum's I, fine. I mean, it is, but I looking at why I did it, I had bad breath, Yeah, probably mostly from coffee, <laughs> Right, and wasn't eating properly, mm-hmm. um, but that person kept telling me, something's wrong, something's wrong, you really need to work on your diet. Mm-hmm. How much coffee did you drink a day? Uh, I did. Three cups a day. Three cups a day. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just started drinking coffee because mm-hmm. I was drinking soda. I was drinking diet soda. So I Whoa. was like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's my one vice. I drink like one diet soda a day for my caffeine fix. And it's just the, the chemicals that are in there are so bad for you. It's like when you stop drinking it, you realize how profoundly they affect you. And exactly. The chemicals are terrible. Yeah. And in fact, with me, um, the artificial sweeteners actually trigger my AFib, uh, like a little arrhythmia, more than the caffeine did. So when I drink good old-fashioned soda occasionally, I'll almost guarantee, be guaranteed to have AFib that night because of the artificial garbage that's in there. But I can drink a coffee, and I can only have one coffee. I, I, the point of me saying this is that I can't, I couldn't imagine drinking three cups of coffee a day because the staff would hate me, first of all, because I'm running around already moving boxes and everything, you know? So I, And I do drink coffee. I, I took a long period of time, years, where mm-hmm. I didn't. I do drink coffee, right, but I coffee drink organic actually, coffee. Right, and it's healthy. Coffee has benefits. But I don't um, alternate that for good food. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the energy that we would get from stimulants uh, really needs to be coming from our nutrition. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And I do want to say, as you know, that our immune system, mm-hmm. our stomach is our immune system. Yep. So if you're not eating properly and you're drinking or eating things that are bad for your stomach, mm-hmm. you're destroying your immune system. Absolutely. And so you had this friend that was like, hey, man, there's something going on with you, you know? And so like, what is it that did you, did you do anything or you just kind of ignored that? I didn't really do much because I actually, I was always a person who had a lot of energy mm-hmm. and everybody always said to me, oh my God, Tara, you have so much energy. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see myself as an unhealthy person. Yeah. I was very functional. Mm-hmm. I really was able to take on more than most people. Yeah. And I saw myself as very healthy. I was in good shape. Yeah. Um, I didn't see myself as unhealthy. So being diagnosed with cancer was shocking. Yeah. And most of us, again, live in that kind of bubble like, oh, I do pretty good, you know. But when you really start to pick into it, you can see where the problems are. And one other thing I'll say is that there's plenty of healthy people, very healthy people that do get diagnosed with cancer, too, because it is just a kind of a crappy lotto. Our DNA just kind of does it to us. And and there's a mutation and there it comes. And, and, and we're surrounded by toxins. Yes. Yeah. We. I mean, that's a very good point. We live in a chemical soup anymore. So, exactly. um, so even if you're making your best decisions, there's still a chance that you're going to have some exogenous factor, but sometimes it's just the luck of the draw too, you know, but um, so you, your diagnosis and then walk me through the early stages and, and how you approached it. Well, so I want to say, um, give credibility to my hairdresser because she's actually the one who, di- who found my cancer. Great. 
I was getting my hair done. Uh, it was February, end of winter. Went to get my hair done, and I had what appeared to be a bullseye with a tick in the center. It was a, a reddish-brown bullseye on the top of my head mm. with um, a very small black center that was kind of dried up. Personally, I really thought I had a, a bullseye with a dead tick in my head. Right, Lyme disease, yeah. It was a Friday night. I asked her to try to dig it out. She was, you know, a little leery about that. She looked at it a little bit. I went home to my boyfriend. He uh, tried to dig it out a little bit and then said, mm, this is not a tick. Yeah. And I was in Friday night mode, so I, I just wanted a glass of wine and have my Friday night. Mm -hmm. And um, I was very nonchalant about it. I said, okay, I'll call my doctor on Monday. And fortunately for me, I did call my doctor first thing Monday morning. Mm -hmm. My thoughts were really because of Lyme disease and how prevalent it is here. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I called her right away to get this tick out of my head. And as soon as I told them over the phone, this was 9 o'clock in the morning, I was in their office by 1030. Wow. I was having a biopsy the next morning. Mm. And uh, actually, my primary doctor, you know, when I left her office, she gave me a phone number and said, you have an appointment tomorrow morning with a dermatologist at 1030. And I left her. I think it was my first red flag and my first, uh, you know, where your brain just goes, whoa. Mm -hmm. um, I left there feeling like, wow, usually they give you a phone number and a referral. Right. And this is where the... I, I lay people need to understand this, that a lot of times, oh, I didn't get anything from my doctor. Oh, I didn't feel like I was heard. They didn't feel urgent about it. Well, it's because there's a very clear protocol if there's something important and you'll feel that. And so like if there is something that is manageable or something that's not as serious, then you're, you'll feel that too. Um, but know that, that that is cocked and loaded, ready to go for most patients. If there's something serious, I mean, I have um, a uh, uh, hyperbilirubinemia. My bilirubin levels are elevated for some insane reason. So I went to my primary care doctor, my new one in college, and I said, listen, I have this thing. He sees the numbers and he like panics. He's like, you're going right now mm -hmm. to this hospital. And like the system is in place for people if there's emergencies to to be seen and diagnosed and tests come back immediately versus like the, the delay that people perceive that happens in the healthcare industry, you know? And that's really hard. I have a, a cancer patient who just recently has been reaching out to me and they're in the very beginning stages mm -hmm. which is so shocking and so overwhelming and um you know i told them about the support group that we are that we run and when it is next month and she said oh my goodness it's that's so far away right. and the truth is is when you're first diagnosed every single part of it you're so overwhelmed that every part of it feels so far away. Right. And, and your that's head is normal. Going to be spinning over and over and over again. And you just need somebody to walk you through it over and over again until you feel a little bit more at peace with it, or at least understand what all your options are and where you are, you know? And you're, yeah, you're looking for fast answers mm -hmm. and uh, nothing can really come fast enough. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's normal. Right. That I, I believe that in cancer, there's many different stages of shock. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the first ones. Yeah. All right. So get the referral to your doctor. Now you're at a dermatologist, biopsied, and you have an official melanoma diagnosis. So I had a um, stage one, mm -hmm. very aggressive malignant melanoma. It was on the top of my scalp. And of course, our scalp is very thin. Yep. So uh, 
the biopsy came back. I, you know, you learn a lot as you go. I had no idea how much information a biopsy could could give you. Um, the biopsy helps to tell how deep it is, mm-hmm. and also it it, to- it showed that the cells were dividing very aggressively. Yeah, and that I needed to have this removed immediately. Within days, I was having. Uh, surgery actually my first surgery was in the doctor's office Mm. and um, the reason being because they needed to get the tumor off of my head so quickly they were afraid that it was would go into the bone right and um, they had to get it off my head so quickly that they couldn't even schedule time in the operating room fast enough wow and I could write a book just about that experience oh, I'm sure. <laughs> alone. But I understood completely, and I knew it's what I had to do. It yeah. was really scary, mm-hmm. um, but I knew it's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And so this situation resolves, you become cancer-free. Well, I actually had that procedure, and yeah. they sewed a, uh, a bandage t- directly to my head and left the wound open. Okay. They sent the tumor in a rush to the lab to get results. Okay. And then based on the results of what they remove, because they remove what they think is larger than the margins, that's what happens with melanoma. Yeah. That's typical with they melanoma. And I've had advanced metastatic melanoma Mm -hmm. but that was the first tumor it was not metastatic at that point Mm -hmm. and the first time you have melanoma i do want to say that melanoma is one of the best cancers to get if they get it the first time yeah and if you have something on your body please do not be afraid to go to a dermatologist and get it checked out we put things off Mm -hmm. and that's the worst thing we can do because if you deal with it right away yeah it's Probably early intervention, early intervention. Mm-hmm. and we're so in denial mm-hmm. and so afraid. It's the worst thing we can do. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of understand that too because it's like the system is daunting. You know, setting an appointment, they're going to be, oh, we'll see you in four months or something like that. And it's like, well, if this is a problem, why would I have to wait? You know, and uh, and you know, navigating that, taking time off of work. And a lot of people are like looking at all that, going, ah, it's inconvenient, but we have to take it seriously. We have to make important things important. So, and a part of our brain thinks it's going to go away. Right. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in denial. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I I had this bandage sewed to the top of my head. Mm -hmm. The tumor was rushed off to the lab while we waited for results. And then time was scheduled in the operating room for me to have the actual operation. And that was in 2015. Mm -hmm. I had a section of my scalp removed almost the size of my hand down to the bone. Wow. And a section on the top of my head, which is where the tumor was, in a big circle removed, a skin graft taken from the back of my head, moved to the top of my head, so I would have hair. Yeah, thank goodness you have such great hair. So I had, <laughs> And I have to say, I, I've been telling my doctors, I've never had hair like this. I'm like, is this from the immunotherapy? <laughs> yeah, you should, but, should sell uh, that. I need some here. If I could take some of your hair. Yeah, I keep joking right with up. my friends that I'll shave it off and have a wig made for them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whatever the side effect, you're, you're like the Hulk of uh, of hair. <laughs> truly, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, and nobody's ever said that to me. So yeah. this is a new experience for me, yeah. having great hair. Yep. Um, yeah, so that was the first year. And amazingly, the symptom, the, the results did come back that I was cancer-free. Mm-hmm. And then right back at it. And right I was told mm-hmm. right then that if, you know, they do give you the facts. They do tell you if for any reason it should return in any part of your body, you, I would have a 25% chance of survival and likely five years to live based on the statistics and what was available for advanced melanoma or metastatic melanoma um, if it returned, because then it was a different, it would be a different beast. 
I was so excited. It was a difficult year. I was so excited to go back home and heal. It took me the rest of the year to heal. I think so much because it was so much of my scalp had been removed. It took me two years to realize I'd been scalped and survived. Right. Really. That's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. But, uh, and my plastic surgeon, Dr. Thomas Haggerty, can I say my doctor's of name? Of course. Um, who's here in Kingston was absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. And if you look at me, people kept saying to me, you don't look like a cancer patient. And, right. and it's true. He, he really did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went home and just recovered and, and went back to life. Mm-hmm. And so looked forward to 2016. Right. And then what? And then. Then. And, and, then. and then the shoe dropped. Go. So a crazy mm-hmm. thing happened. 2016, January. Mm-hmm. My, I get a call that my dad has been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and has a month to live. Mm. I literally jumped in my car and went to him. Mm-hmm. I, I, he lived in the Allegheny Mountains. Okay. Which is so remote. My cell phone didn't work there. No internet. Blah yeah. blah 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 blah. Um, but my dad wanted to stay at home. Yeah, he wanted to die at home, and I I uh, I took care of him and I I gave him his wishes. We did everything we could. Yeah, and I think it's an important thing to you know looking back at everything. I realize, and especially in talking to other cancer patients now, my dad was not willing to make any changes. Right. Right. My dad lived on coffee and Coke and milk and cigarettes and beer. Right. That's what my dad lived on. Love you, dad. Right. <laughs> but I have a cousin who was diagnosed with all sorts of cancer and he would be posting pictures from his hospital stay to update everybody and there'd be wings and Mountain Dew. And, and I guess if it's severe enough, you might as well enjoy yourself. But I mean, I, I don't even know, you know? Yeah, that, that wasn't the point. You know, and of course, being diagnosed, being told you have one month, that's, that's, your brain can't wrap around that fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the case for most people. And so he just, he really didn't have enough time to process making changes. But anyway, I took on a lot. I did give my dad all of his wishes. It was also a miracle time. We got to spend six weeks together. Yeah. Um, he did live six weeks. Yep. And um, I was with my dad when he passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, you know, <clears throat> organized the funeral and closing up his house. I was gone for nine weeks. But anyway, in the first few weeks, I think three weeks in of taking care of my dad, I got a lump on the back of my head behind my ear. Wow. I really, my sister kept saying, oh my goodness, you need to go to the doctor. And you're in the Allegheny Mountains. There wasn't a place for me to go. And, yeah. I, and I couldn't leave my dad. Um but like one of those I places also, with like the doctors, the sheriff, and also like the pest control, and like it's one of those gigs. People were driving seventy miles just to bring me food. I had to drive a hundred miles just to go drop, uh, check my internet at the time. Mm. It's very remote. It, it's we can't wrap our brains around it. But anyway, I I really didn't take it seriously because I I just thought I was overdoing it. My body hadn't healed enough from the year before, mm-hmm. which is true. Mm-hmm. But I really did not expect that it was going to be cancer. So I was going nine. Nine weeks, I came home. I arrived home on a Saturday. It was the beginning of April. Again, Monday morning, I was at my doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Tuesday morning, I had a biopsy. The following Monday morning, it came back. I was stage three, a, a very advanced um, metastatic melanoma. Ikes. Ikes. And that was the beginning of the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, phew. That was the most shocking time mm-hmm. of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, 
you've survived it. And that's the thing. Like as you're reliving this, it's making you very emotional and I can understand that. And, and people need to hear that. And, and, but the thing is, is that you're on the other side. So, so while I'm okay with you, like embracing these emotions, I'm going to tell you, let, let's share, let's spread some hope. Let's be the care bear here and shine that hope on people because you felt this and then you turned it into something Great. much different. Great. Yeah. And I want to say you must have small children because I love the Care Bear picture. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if I didn't have small children? I just like Care Bears as an adult male. <laughs> Would you hold really that against great. me? No. All right. I really like my little okay. pony. So, you know, so I do want to share and mm -hmm. I don't, I, it's very important when you're talking to cancer patients in different stages, you really do talk differently mm -hmm. with different, with people in different stages. And I know personally, when I was first diagnosed stage three, mm -hmm. I needed answers just like right. that person in the beginning. I wanted answers. I started diving into every book I could get my hands on. And at first, because I was told that there were no treatments for me at that point. I actually had cancer for 18 months before treatment existed for me other than surgery. Wow. And did every, you do the surgery? I did many surgeries. I've had five surgeries, Yikes. including brain surgery. Mm. And um, prior to, well, even after brain surgery, every surgery I had, tumors would come back in a different place mm. because I was treating the site. I wasn't treating my body. Right. So uh, prior to that, though, my, you know, as I was going through those months, I, I did go to Columbia Presbyterian, and I want to thank my local oncologist, Dr. Andrade. Mm -hmm. He's absolutely fabulous. I will love him forever because the second year when my cancer returned, he said, Tar, it's time for me to send you to the big guys. Okay. And I thought that was so, so humble of him mm -hmm. and amazing. And he had just seen this doctor, Dr. Richard Carvajal, who's very famous, a mm -hmm. very famous oncologist at Columbia Presbyterian. And he had just he seen him speak at a conference. He had written a very famous paper about a, a patient about melanoma. So Dr. Andrade sent me to him. And I want to say I'm really proud because of my success. Dr. Andrade now sends all of his melanoma patients to Dr. Carvel. There you go. And that's really huge. It's I feel big. very proud about yeah. that. Yeah. So off to Columbia, I went and I went through several months of, you know, testing, lots and lots of testing. I was also in shock because, you know, I just lost my dad. As soon as I got home, my boyfriend broke up with me. Yeah, he sucks anyway, so it's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I lived <but> <laughs> in his house. I got diagnosed with stage three cancer. Yeah. And within a month my or two months, my cancer progressed so much that I lost my income. Mm. So I had my, my surgeon at the time, my neck surgeon coming up actually is the one who told me that I had the five most intense experiences that everybody goes, one yeah, of one person would, make, would, would break cave, you. Yeah, exactly. You. Yeah. One of those is enough for most people to have a, a completely life altering, completely different direction and all five piled up on top of you. I have a saying, so again, I like to try to keep everything light. This is a pretty heavy topic, but mm -hmm. my, you know, like there's not, no reason we can't make jokes. If it's not one Please. thing, it's diarrhea. <laughs> You know, that's, that's a pharmacist saying that that's what I say to my patients actually, because they're like, Oh, what about the side effects? Well, if it's not one thing, it's diarrhea. So, mm. so there it is. So you, at least, at least your gut was, how was your gut during this whole process? Did the stress, uh, call, change your, your gut uh, at all? Stress because I have was that a lot. Tremendous. Mm -hmm. Stress was tremendous in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, and at different times, but more in the beginning, mm -hmm. um, I did develop, um, a PTSD and I also yeah. developed a serious case of, um, Claustrophobia. Why claustrophobia? During Just from the time, exams and one and of the being tests the I went through, and I don't really like to tell people because I don't want to. As a cancer patient, I didn't want to know the bad. 
I like, I didn't want to, in the beginning, I didn't want to read someone's cancer story because mm-hmm. I didn't need, my personal experience was, I didn't need to know what could happen to me, although I felt like it was really important to get as much education and information as possible. Yeah. But it didn't really need to read a negative story. So I don't want to tell people negative um, because that was my case. That's not everybody's case. Right. But well, that is what happened. So, I mean, you're doing me. this this hope coaching around cancer. Would, mm-hmm. And so would excluding the those those moments actually uh, make the problem worse? Or do you think it would empower people more if they knew what to expect? Yeah, I ask myself this question all the time. Do I tell somebody that they're going to have flu-like symptoms after the shingle shot? While I'm stab- stabbing them or before they, they sign up well, for Well, flu-like uh, symptoms is a heck of a lot different Of course, than, than claustrophobia. But, uh, but um, cancer, yeah. The, but the idea here being like, um, wouldn't it be wiser uh, or would? how would you feel mm-hmm. if you were to go through it now? Or if you were to put yourself in the, in the shoes of those people, would you want to know, hey man, I just want to let you know that there's a feeling that comes when you're in there, claustrophobia, and here's a good strategy that helped me get through it versus like, no, you'll be fine, you know? Well, actually, truth is, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I have to... I have to go under in, intravenous. I have to go under um, anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's because it's that much. Do, yeah, because it's that much. Yeah, and I, again, I think keeping it real with people, I think, is very important to let them know that those are. They're, they're, it's a crappy process uh, to put it lightly, you know, and to, to know all of the potential downsides. I think that's important, and especially cause you can speak to it. You can say, yeah, listen, you have this fight ahead of you. So well, do everything it, in your power. Right. First of all, education is can, power. Right. When I had to go for a scan, mm-hmm. a different type of scan that I had never had before. Mm-hmm. Like I, in December, 2016, I had a gamma knife radiation surgery. It was an eight hour procedure on my brain. Ugh. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was petrified. I couldn't imagine. So I went online and started to research. I needed a picture, especially at this point, I already had claustrophobia very Mm -hmm. seriously. I needed a picture of what that machine looked like. Mm -hmm. You know, I needed to know ahead of time what to expect on every single level. Mm -hmm. Um, I did actually go under anesthesia to do that procedure. Yeah. Because I knew that I would have a panic attack in the machine. Absolutely. That's not the case for everyone. You know, children do these things. And I think just letting people know it's okay. It's okay to... To, to take a break. It's okay to not try to strength, you know, use your strength to push through everything. It's okay to say, you know what, my strength comes from admitting that this is going to be a lot and I need to take every advantage I can. It's not like they're, you know. And education is power yeah. on every single level. It's mm-hmm. the, it's one of the most important things that mm-hmm. I tell everybody. So I do want to share, you know, I sure. don't want to, I don't want to be a, um, a negative Nelly, but I want people to. I say to, negative Neely. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it works really good. That's really good. I'm always bashing supplements. So I'm like, oh, I'm being a negative Neely again because I love supplements. And that, yes, that's, I know. I've heard that that's where I want to get. I want to get to I, like, let's talk about if you don't mind, um, because I think the most uh, important thing to your story mm-hmm. is how you said, I don't want to just rely on medicine alone. Right. Exactly. All right. So in the beginning, when I was told there's no treatment for you. Mm hmm. There were immunotherapies that were being tested, but they were not available yet. Mm -hmm. They were soon available, but Mm -hmm. they were not available yet. In the beginning, I was told that chemo Mm -hmm. does not work with melanoma. It's used as a last resort. Yeah. So here I am. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? Yeah. So I am a native of Woodstock. Mm -hmm. I grew up here. I didn't know the rest of the world was different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I grew up on a farm in Wittenberg. So my natural instinct was, okay, if my cancer is aggressive, Yep. 
what can I do to get my body as healthy as possible so that if a treatment does become available, I'm healthy enough to get it. This is the reason that you're sitting in the chair, just uh, in case I hadn't said this to you yet, because I think that perspective and that concept is the most important part to it. We had uh, a whole food expert on Dr. Vic Shane, and you know we were talking about the idea of food versus medicine, and it's never that situation. It's always together. So we, we want to have a healthy lifestyle to decrease our risks of potentially getting horrible diseases that could have been preventable, heart disease and cancer being, uh, there's many cancers that are preventable. Uh, and on top of that, we want to eat and, and be as healthy as possible to work in sync with the therapies that we need to have. And ha just having that perspective, because it's often the opposite. I don't, you know, Steve Jobs is the most famous one. I don't want med medical treatment. I don't want to violate that. I want alternative care and his could have been treated. His could have, he could have survived. Um, so, uh, it's important that people, when they're going this path, they embrace both. Exactly. And and like we said, our, our gut is our immune system. And look mm -hmm. at where I am now. Mm -hmm. I actually just stopped treatment one month ago after three years. I was pioneering with an, a new immunotherapy. I'm one of the first patients to get it mm -hmm. for advanced metastatic melanoma. Mm -hmm. um, for your audience, I want to say I've had 13 tumors, 12 metastasized in my neck and brain. Mm. I've had brain surgery. I had six tumors removed out of my neck, mm. all my lymph nodes, all my nerves, your artery connected to the carotid artery. I had no left arm for six months. We didn't, I had no feeling from the top of my head to my breast. We had no idea if I would ever recover any of it. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2017, I had a doctor's appointment, physical therapy, something every single day. I've been through intense. Um, I was I I did pioneer with this immunotherapy, Keytruda, mm -hmm. and um, I'm sitting here today. One month, it, it it really hasn't even hit me yet. It's still so new. Mm -hmm. One month, I just finished my treatment, and July came back for the first time, no tumors. Right, and then I had more scans in October. And the funny part is I broke my little toe two weeks before and they said, Tara, what did you do to your little toe? It shows up red on the scans. <laughs> it's the only thing that showed up. It's like on my cartoonish skin. red with like the thumping. <laughs> boom, boom, yeah. Boom, boom. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's really important. But again, um, oh, and by the way, I've been on life support and I've been in a coma. Mm. So my body's been through a lot. So it's now looking back, and this is where the hope catch comes in. Mm -hmm. And and this started like a year and a half ago where I started to realize my story is an anomaly. Mm -hmm. My my doctors were already treating me because my tumors were shrinking and it was it was such a freaking miracle. Right. Huge. Thirteen tumors. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, who who gets that? And so I started this journey about a year and a half ago, transitioning and realizing that, wow, I have a lot to give to people and giving hope. But here I am now. I'm not considered cancer-free just because it was metastasized to my brain and because I had so many metastasized tumors and the statistics of melanoma. Different. Every cancer is different. I will be considered stage 4 cancer for the rest of my life, but stage 4 with no tumors is very exciting. However, back to when I first was diagnosed stage 3 and I got past the initial shock, I made a personal decision. And I don't know where it came from. I tell people I can give you hope, but I cannot tell you how to have determination. Yeah. I know personally I do have a lot of determination. One day I just decided I am going to be a new statistic and a great one. 
And I poured myself into everything I could do to make my body healthy. I started taking supplements, but I did a lot of research. I started juicing. I started eating really healthy, lots of fruits and vegetables. I went organic. I got toxins out of my house. I got toxic people out of my life. Yeah, that's the fun part. I, that's a hard part. <laughs> it's a difficult part. But I literally created a healing bubble around myself and decided who could fit and what could fit in my bubble because I was determined to get healthy. And it took me two years, and all of a sudden I looked back, and when all of my statistics started to change and my case started to become an anomaly, mm -hmm. I realized, oh, my God, I actually visualized that, and it's, it's become true. Right. But here I am now. You know, I am one month now, finished with treatment. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantees for me. I'm very clear about that. There's mm -hmm. no guarantees for any of us. Zero. And that's kind of the thing I, I don't want to interrupt you, of course, but, you know, all that matters is today. So today, it's a good day, you know? And I'm right back to where I was in the beginning. Right. Because guess what? We all have cancer cells in our body every day, yeah. every single one of us. How are we warding those off? Right. How are we making our bodies healthy, whether we have cancer mm -hmm. or we don't? Right. Or whatever, any other disease. And one thing that I've come to realize is that once you reach stage four, and I want to share with the audience that the bad news is I was stage four for three years. The good news is I was stage four for three years. Yeah. <laughs> but once you reach stage four, I came to realize that it actually doesn't really matter what illness you have. Mm -hmm. It's all really the same at a certain point. Mm-hmm. The details are just different, mm -hmm. but it's really all about what is it that you need to do to get your body healthy. How did uh, your traditional practitioners take the idea that you were doing all of this stuff? So when I first went to Columbia Presbyterian, and now my doctors and I laugh about it together, I have a great relationship with all of my doctors, and I mm -hmm. want to say I have 10 specialists. I have three oncologists I, simultaneously. I didn't even know prior that that, because it metastasized to my brain. Mm -hmm. Um. At first, I didn't tell my doctors at Columbia that I was alternative because I felt like they were uneducated about, <laughs> about alternative <laughs> practices. Uh, I mean, true, uh, but... And I didn't want them to tell me right. not to do it. Right, yeah. And so I... But I felt like... And I was in shock. And I was all of a sudden in this whole new medical world at Columbia. And I was receiving a lot of information and research. And, I, and they wanted me to sign on to a study. And uh, I was learning a lot really, really fast and absorbing everything I could. So for three months, I did not tell them all these alternative things that I was doing. But what happened, which is another miracle, is that they watched me as my cancer was growing very aggressively. And just in a few months, it grew from two tumors in my neck to six tumors in my neck. So as the cancer was growing very aggressively, they saw my body become extremely healthy. Yeah, and they and didn't know why the, right. until I told them what I was doing three yeah. months later. Right. And when I told them what I was doing at first, they said, oh, my God, you got to stop that. And I said, no, mm -hmm. if you want me to sign on to this study, we need to be a team and we need, I need to tell you what I'm doing. I need to come clean, mm -hmm. but we need to be a team. But I, but I will say, and they knew, my doctor also saw in those three months, he saw how much research I was doing. And from the materials that they gave me, mm -hmm. they were blown away. And they told me every single time, oh, my God, Tara, we can't believe you, wrote this, you read this 26 pages that we gave you and you write notes. 
and you highlighted and you asked questions and you've really gone about this very intelligently and we're blown away because most people come to us and say, just tell me what to do and they don't read anything. Right. So they saw that. Yeah. And Ownership. So that ownership. Journey. So mm-hmm. we so we really did become a team and they I they trusted me too from what they saw in the research that I did. Mm-hmm. And I told them, look, I want to win here. Mm-hmm. I want to live. Mm-hmm. And I did share it with them. So can let's talk about this idea of research because unfortunately uh, you know, most of us aren't trained in how to research correctly. And now with the internet I wasn't. now with the internet, it's easy to get your hand on garbage. And in mm-hmm. fact, like one of the things my next guest on the podcast is a professional researcher and we're going to talk about crappy studies, you know, and just how they're just everywhere. But anybody that is involved in research understands all of the problems that's out there right now with the legitimate um, uh, research versus just the editorial stuff that most people come across. Cause that's a big differentiation. There's the white papers that are done by, you know, hopefully in the scientific method and they're done by researchers and there's that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But then there's the Google searches that almost everybody's involved in. Right. And it takes a good 30, 40 pages deep to get into anything. So, you know, at first I was pouring myself into getting my body healthy. That was my goal. Yes. And I was doing a lot of research on what are smart diets to yes. be, and mm-hmm. I don't mean diet isn't losing weight, but I mean diet isn't eating really healthy. Nutrition plan. What mm-hmm. are really smart nutrition plans to get your body really healthy? Yep. I I immediately started doing organ cleansing mm-hmm. and really doing everything in my power to get my body healthy. Mm-hmm. I was very aware, and I think that that's a lot because of my Woodstock upbringing. We we are exposed to these things on a different level than a yeah. lot of other societies, mm-hmm. and I did know the village apothecary. Mm -hmm. you know, even then. Mm -hmm. Um, So I already recognized that it was important to to look at information and where it was coming from. And it's not that I didn't read information from other sources, Mm -hmm. but I always picked and chose and was aware of Mm -hmm. where am I getting this information from? Yeah. What's the motivation of the person that's presenting the data? That is exactly right. And that goes from the blog article all the way up to the research paper that's out there. Right. Who's paying for this? Who's paying for it? Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So I was aware of that. But so initially I was really pouring myself into cleansing my body. I was dancing as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I never and words, words are really important. I did not like the words fighting cancer. I used the words loving and dancing through cancer. Yeah, great. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. dance as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um I did Pilates every day at mm-hmm. home. Just Relaxation, wonderful. Stretching Muscle my building, body, yeah. getting in good shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really, I got in great shape. Mm-hmm. I, and I became, all of a sudden, this was before my surgery, my, uh, uh, my surgery in, 2000, in September 2016 when they removed the tumors out of my neck. Um, my, my friends saw my body becoming very healthy and I kept saying, how do you have a very aggressive cancer? You look like the fountain of youth. It's so important for people to hear this one case study and apply it to them because there are so many diseases that um, the disease themselves causes people to live a, a less healthy lifestyle because of whatever it's doing to you, whatever it's ravaging you. But if you're able to fight through that, and again, sorry, using the word fight, but if you're able to push through that and, um, and feed your body and do the best that you can, those diagnoses, um, often the quality of life just uh, goes through the roof, uh, where most people are in a very uh, tight suffering stage. Alzheimer's is one of them. You know, there's so many charlatans out there saying, oh, you know, I can fix your Alzheimer's. And what they're doing is, is they're feeding the person. And it's not that they're fixing their Alzheimer's, they're just making them healthier. So as they're dealing with this, they have more to 
bring to the table, I guess. Right. You know? So here's the crazy thing. I had this very aggressive cancer, mm-hmm. and yet my body mm-hmm. was so healthy. I mm-hmm. felt amazing. Mm-hmm. And yet I did have cancer brain. Mm-hmm. I was overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I was tired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had cancer in my body. My body was fighting hard. Yeah. And I was doing all this research plus all everything, the materials that my doctors were giving me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was preparing for surgery. Mm-hmm. September 13th, 2016, I had a seven-hour surgery. Mm-hmm. I was cut from the base of my skull all the way down around the side of my neck to, to the center Ugh. of the front of my neck. I had six tumors, all my lymph nodes, all my nerves, the artery connected to the carotid artery removed, and all of those muscles and nerves and everything were severed. And it was huge. I knew going into it that my recovery was probably going to be about a year. Mm-hmm. I knew that. And um, we didn't, we expected to be removing, well, I guess in, in August I found out there were six tumors before going in. But, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, it was very extensive. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was in the hospital only for, I think, four days afterwards. I came home mm-hmm. to prepare for this, and I'd set myself up ahead of time so I could heal. And five weeks later, completely unexpected, I had a seizure, which I had never had before. My neighbors found me collapsed in the hallway. Um, I, I, I had a halo, which I didn't even know that term. Mm-hmm. And I was able to try to get to a neighbor. I didn't make it that far. My neighbors found me a, an hour and a half later, collapsed in the hallway of my building and called my son. And I was rushed to the hospital and they found three brain tumors, mm. which we knew grew in like five weeks because I had been having scans regularly. So um, fortunately, I was transferred 24 hours later in an ambulance back to Columbia because I already had this wonderful medical team. And four or five days later after that, I had emergency brain surgery. So my point in telling you this is that, you know, that's a crazy story. And I, I want to say I, I still am in shock that this is my story, that I've been through all of these things, but I have. And I'm here to, to share it, you know, very excitedly. Um, but, you know, so before that, I was working very hard at getting my body healthy. But my cancer was aggressive. And then they had these two massive surgeries. So that second massive surgery, you know, when I had brain surgery, here I am on a different floor in Columbia Presbyterian with different doctors, different staff um, from the people who were just working with me five weeks before. And after 48 hours when I was, because for the first 48 hours I was intensive care, but when I was in my room and I was more astute, all of a sudden, all of these nurses and doctors and residents who were not mine kept coming into my room and standing at the foot of my bed, very sheepishly, actually, and saying, do you mind if we ask you some questions? One after another, after another, after another. And I thought, oh, my God, they must all be talking about me out at the desk there. Mm-hmm. It was actually very exciting. Right. Because every single one of them, everyone said, what are you doing? We don't have patients as healthy as you. We don't have patients that heal as fast as you do because they saw in my records that I just had massive surgery five weeks before and my wound, both wounds were healing so quickly. And I knew that this was happening Mm -hmm. because of how well I had taken care of my body Mm -hmm. in all the eight months prior. Absolutely. Huge. And I knew that I was also teaching my doctors because I was open with them about what I was doing. And by the way, I was also doing cannabis oil. Nice. Prior, mm-hmm. medical marijuana did not exist. Right. I you got to get it from a friend. 
I had to get it elsewhere, mm-hmm. and I told my doctors at Columbia. What's the guy's name? Just for research purposes, not, <laughs> no, 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 not no. for now you me, get, my supply. Yeah, now I you can go get to, medical marijuana. Yeah, I, we had But a it guy. didn't exist. Right. And, and I had nausea, pain, dizziness, yeah. headaches. And it was a big help as for you, I'm sure. As soon as I started taking it, all of those symptoms went away. And at first I thought, oh my God, is this, is this just coincidental? Absolutely but not. Every single time I ran out of money mm-hmm. and couldn't get it within 48 hours, all my symptoms came back after that happened three times. I realized, oh my goodness, this really makes a big difference. I kind of feel like we need a weed money charity for cancer patients, you know? Like if we can just put together a pot so people can get their hands on medical marijuana, you know? I think that, because it is expensive too. It's very expensive, yes. But at least when we're paying, we know we're getting better than the stuff that we were getting on the street, you know, at any given Quality time. Quality-wise, so, yes. Yeah, for sure. So, mm-hmm. but, um, so, yeah, I think that it's an important thing for people to hear. Now, one of the things that I'd like to stress is that while you used supplements, you're not saying that it was because you took supplements that this happened. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. And that's an important thing for people to hear because part of what I do is I educate healthcare practitioners on how to help people holistically. And I'm trying to take back that word, holistic, because in the current nomenclature, people feel holistic means supplements and that's it. Oh, interesting. They might talk about lifestyle stuff, but it's really no medicine, alternative therapies, and that's it. That's what holistic care means to people. You're right, you're right. And so I think it's important for people to hear that not only are you a case study for all of these doctors because of all you've done, you're also an advocate saying this isn't about any single intervention. It's a very holistic kind of approach to the whole thing. And it's interesting too, because I'm taking an integrative medicine course mm-hmm. and really integrative medicine is becoming more and more cutting edge. There mm-hmm. is an integrative integrative medicine department at Sloan Kettering. Mm-hmm. And um, through taking this course, you know, at first... I, well, through taking this course, I'm, I'm transitioning in realizing I don't really like the word alternative anymore mm-hmm. um, because that also gives people, I think, a negative picture. Yeah, I think that I try to teach that there's no such thing as uh, alternative and traditional medicine. There's good and bad medicine. And we have access to supplements and things that are non-prescription, non-medical, that can or ha- uh, can be very effective or has this great potential. The problem that everybody needs to be uh, more aware of than the fact that there's gold in the hills is that the um, products that we're buying are so far from what we think they are. Right. So far from what they we think they are, um, you know, and that's the, our, my role in the world is to teach people that gap exists and like we need to close it because, as you can see, you're doing this integrative therapy and they're talking about alternative treatments and all this other stuff and that shouldn't be a part of it. It should be there's lifestyle things that we do, there's the supplements that we can buy, and then there's the medical therapies. That's how it should fit together. And, exactly. And I don't even like the idea of integrative medicine. I, I really yeah, why I, is that? Well, so. There's even functional medicine and integrative medicine for me. So I feel like on the spectrum, right, of medical therapies, you have the the guys on the one side that say drugs only, big clinical trials, you know, we not, no, no supplements bad. And then on the other side, you have the people that are driving around Woodstock with crystals on their steering wheel, teaching them how to drive through town, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's the spectrum of beliefs um, that are sometimes backed by science, but on one side, often not backed by science. In fact, there's science disproving it. And so when I see integrative therapies, functional medicine, stuff like that, 
I feel that many of those people are diving more towards the less science-based stuff. And I think if what I'm hearing from you is that you don't, don't like the idea of alternative and all of this other stuff. And I believe that we can do holistic care without diving into the, the disproven, the unsafe, the, and, and disregarding the, the, the liabilities that come with some of these interventions. Well, and so that is, that is true in the past. Moving forward, I don't believe that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, the course that I'm taking is actually out of the Middle East and Israel. Mm-hmm. And it is, yes, there are less studies because, face it, there's still less money involved mm-hmm. in holistic than there is in pharmaceuticals. So there's more money that's put into testing pharmaceuticals, yes, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, but there, but it really is transitioning. And, and what's happening globally is that, you know, in, in other countries, traditional medicine is still what's widely used it's harder to get people to use modern medicine but there's a lot of success that happens with these cultures who have used you know traditional medicine for cent- for you know thousands of years mm-hmm. and and now there's a, a transition happening where they're using both with great success mm-hmm. and now that's moving east you know it's moving to the united states and elsewhere but it is on an educated basis mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I mean, I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot to learn. Yeah. And, and I'm uh, transitioning my brain, too, because I was raised in Woodstock. Yeah. So, um, but, but there is a lot known about uh, integrative medicines that can help cancer patients. And I think... I think and it's not instead mm-hmm. of, course, of modern never in, treatment. Never instead. And that's the big take home. It's together. Right. And I think the, the, the hierarchy of... Uh, holistic needs is my next infographic. I feel you know the hierarchy of needs, you know shelter and safety and all of that stuff for people. But on the bottom needs to be you know proven lifestyle interventions, you know environmental control, diet, stress, lifestyle, exactly that kind of stuff. Then on the next tier is sure supplements and such, but we have to make sure that if we're saying like I presented at your group and I said lion's mane, it's a very effective mushroom, except almost all of the lion's mane that you buy in this country is not really even real lion's mane. Right. Right. So that has to, you know, we have to, if we're going to use supplements, we have to make sure that we're using the real things. And that's the problem is that in these courses, we talk about the academics, but Mm -hmm. we don't put, you know, rubber to the road, you know, and, and how would we practically get this done if the mushroom products that I'm recommending as an integrative practitioner isn't really even mushrooms, you know? And also, you know, every cancer in every person is, is a different person, a different cancer. I always say to cancer patients, three different people with the same cancer are still three different people. Mm -hmm. This is a very individualized problem that we're dealing with. And because it's, it's everything. Right. As you've kind of displayed, it's your physical endurance, it's your mental endurance, it's your support system, it's your. And what other things have you got going on? Right. You know, often when a cancer, when you meet a cancer patient, they have other medical situations going on. So every person is an individual. Just because one thing worked for one person, you really, you really need to do as much research as you can to know what is right for your body. Mm hmm. You really do still need to really communicate with your doctor. So if you had to, because we're uh, getting close to wrapping up. So if you had a group of people in front of you right now that were just freshly diagnosed, what are the things that you're telling them to prioritize towards? Uh, well, get over your denial. Okay. Get the best doctor that you can. Mm-hmm. Get to a research hospital. 
get to the closest research hospital that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I did ask my doctor at Columbia, do hospitals, research hospitals share information when they come up with a new discovery? He said, yes. And so do that. That's the most progressive care that you can get and the latest information. Great. Be kind to your doctors. Mm-hmm. They deal with a lot. It's easy to be angry when you have cancer. Yeah. I feel that a lot of my success has been my personality and that I brought myself to my doctors. I was myself, which they brought themselves to me. Right. And, you know, sometimes doctors are jerks to find a different doctor, you know? That was my next thing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I took it from you. (laughs) No, really, really, really important. Like Mm -hmm. your doctor. Mm -hmm. If you don't like your doctor, Mm -hmm. move on. Right. Move on because you need to be a team. Right. If they're not listening to you, you don't feel heard, Mm -hmm. then you're not a team. Right. And And so feeling heard is a different thing than you coming to the relationship closed. So if you want to be here, you need to listen too. Exactly. You know? That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, research everything. Mm-hmm. Um, everything. It changes how you feel and it makes you feel empowered in your process. Yeah. And for me, that changed my entire journey. Once I feel, felt in, empowered in my choices, mm-hmm. I felt like I was healing. Yeah. Even when it was in aggressive stages. Yeah, I, I, if I can interrupt you. Sure. So um, completely unrelated, completely not even in the same realm of like intensity, of course, but my, we just had a, a, a therapist visit with my son. We're doing this new program in a, in a teaching hospital, as you're saying, right, with uh, behavioral stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this early conversation, he's like, yeah, there's some ADHD stuff and the best things are medicines. Now I'm a pharmacist. I'm a holistic pharmacist, but I'm a pharmacist. And so my first thought is the same thing that my, I, I hear my patients say is like, I'm not taking, we're not doing that. Right. Why would we do that? And then I had to like, look at myself and say, what, what was that reaction? And because it seems, um, that the, the, the practitioner is just looking at a bunch of boxes and checking them off and just throwing you that way. Mm-hmm. So what I had said to him, is I said, sure, great. Like that sounds good. Awesome. Can you help me find the most leading research? What are the newest reviews? Who are the people that are, are making the biggest waves in this, in this area? Show me the, the most recent consensus article that was written about the treatment of this, right? And so he's like, yeah, great, that's awesome. And you'll know how to read those, so that's, that's great. And so I think that's an important thing because you were saying, do your research. And that's what, what you want to bring to the table is to say, listen, okay, I'll listen. And I need to know who's leading the thoughts around this right now. And can you point me to that person so I can get the best information? And that will hopefully help you be armed better, you know, to the teeth, actually, uh, of the best scientific information about therapy or not. And also, you you made a good point, too. Um, Talk to your pharmacist. Mm -hmm. Because the pharmacists are the ones that are the most educated about the drugs. Yeah. And in hospitals, there are pharmacists, because I'm going to say oncology is a very complicated area. Uh, So asked to speak to the pharmacists that deal with oncology, dietitians that are in that department, the whole the whole team. I called my pharmacist when I first started using Keytruda, mm-hmm. even though it was newly prescribed, mm-hmm. you know, for patients. Mm-hmm. And they already had information about what other drugs interacted. Yeah, we can get our hands on this stuff and give it to you. So Exactly. Mm-hmm. So use your pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Change your diet. Go sugar-free. Mm-hmm. Go organic. Mm-hmm. Water. Mm-hmm. Drink mm-hmm. healthy water. Find out what's in your water. Get a really good water filter. Eat lots of fruits and vegetables. Eat real food. Um, oh, this is a silly one, but it made so much sense for me and a big difference. Make your bed every day. <laughs> makes you feel accomplished, like you've Even got something done. Even if you're climbing mm-hmm. back into it, it mm-hmm. makes you feel really good. On a really bad day, 
it's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And it makes you feel really good about yourself. Do something really positive for yourself every morning first thing. Mm -hmm. When you do something positive for yourself, all of a sudden, you five minutes later, you turn around and you do something else positive for yourself and then mm -hmm. something else positive for yourself. By the end of the day, you can't believe when you're at your worst mm -hmm. how many things you actually did that day. Yeah. And it might be helpful to chart that out. You know, when we help people with mental health stuff, we say, you know, and in the number of moments there are in the day, like every you know, like three second, you know, spans or whatever, how many were good? How many were bad? How many were just whatever? And if you really chart that out, you'll see that most of the time it's just whatever. There's nothing really bad or good going on. There's the occasional bad and the occasional good. So putting that down on a piece of paper so you can objectively chart see. everything. Yeah, chart, chart everything. everything. So um, move your body, by the way, move your body. What are some positive things you did for yourself? Well, exercise was one of the most positive things I did for myself. Meditation. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I used to joke around all the time before cancer that I was the only um, uh, native. Thank you. I was the only native of Woodstock that didn't meditate, didn't do yoga, and couldn't, couldn't paint stick people. <laughs> <laughs> I have stick I have stick people paintings downstairs. I didn't even think of that. I know <laughs> here I am. I, I do yoga and Pilates and I meditate. Yeah. And for me, I think you need to, to to come up with what that means for you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spend hours and hours. For me, fifteen minutes meditation a day. That's all I try to get people to do. Spending quiet fifteen minutes every single morning before I do anything. Yeah. And it's amazing what positive comes out of that. Absolutely. Yeah, meditation and mindfulness is all over our site. We had a great podcast about it. Uh, let your family know who your team leader is, your, doc yeah. your team leader doctor. Um, when I was in a coma, months later, I went to see my oncologist in the city, who's my team leader, and he said, Tara, you were in a coma. How come I didn't know about this? Nobody, nobody <laughs> called <laughs> nobody him. Nobody called him, and that's... There's one of the biggest downfalls to this whole thing. Keep really good medical records. Again, because I did have seizures, I had a lot of brain damage, which I'm fortunate to be healing through. Mm -hmm. But uh, oh, about a year and a half ago, I started accumulating all my medical records. Mm -hmm. Digital is not perfect yet. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, I think, but it's not yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things are not cross-referenced between medical um, buildings and facilities and doctors. I actually have a briefcase where I keep files for every single doctor, um, every, like, you know, a file for scans I've had, a file for blood tests I've had, a file for surgeries I've had. And I also get all of my scans put on CD, which travel with me. There's times when I drove all the way to Columbia for a doctor's appointment, and which I'd scheduled, you know, a month in advance, got all the way there, and they didn't have the scan. It didn't get sent to them. Yeah. So, I, you know, I've learned through hard knocks. How to be prepared, and they were like, oh my God, you have it with you? Right, repeat that, because you learn through hard knocks, so let's not make the mistakes. We could deny it, and we can say, the system's going to work. It's not going to freaking work. So just know that. Like, Know that people have gone down this path. And I think as you're saying this, like I can hear people say to me, like, this is a lot of work. And unfortunately, the system requires it. And you know what? You need to take this kind of ownership over things, you know? And you it would do, be nice. Because it's the only way you can really be empowered and, and get healthy and make sure your medical records are correct because they, they aren't always. Right. And then follow up and call that doctor and get them corrected. Right. Sometimes the wrong meds are on there. What if I, and you know, this really came out of when I was in a coma. Mm hmm. And then when I woke up, that's really when I started to, to update all my medical records and, and take, my, take power over them because I realized, oh, my God, what if, what if they had given me the wrong medications? Yeah. What if this 
you know, because there was a medication that was on my record that was wrong. That, that would have been terrible. So that, that's really important. Um, create emergency lists. This is a big one that I decided uh, because I did have brain damage as I was healing through. And so I would get very, very overwhelmed. Create contact lists and your medical records, what your meds are, what your surgeries have been, what your cancer is, what your situation is. Put it on one sheet. Hang it on the wall on the inside of your door. Keep it in your car. Keep it in your purse. Keep it everywhere so that if something happens to you, I had so many seizures. I was unconscious every single time. I had, you know, in an ambulance. I have no memory of that. I couldn't advocate for myself. Having those lists is really important. Actually, two times that I had seizures um, instead of actually a seizure, they didn't realize that I had a seizure. Fortunately, they re realized it fast enough, but if they had treated me the wrong way, it would have been actually very terrible. Yeah. You know, this is what I'm going to do for you as a gift. Um, we're going to take all these, we're going to transcribe them, we're going to put them on a document, and then we're going to make it available for people to download, and they have their own checklist of things that the health coach, the cancer health coach, uh, is telling people to uh, do to, you know, empower yourself through this whole whole journey. And so uh, what would be the, in closing, I guess, the one thing that you would want anybody who's either recently diagnosed or uh, supporting somebody that's recently diagnosed um, to know? What would you want them to know? Wow, everything we just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the podcast, so there's that. Listen to the podcast. Well, at least now they have uh, some somebody that can talk to them for a little bit, hopefully laugh a little bit about Support life. systems are really important. Yeah. Support systems, that's one thing I didn't mm -hmm. talk about. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I, I, I created amazing support systems. Mm -hmm. um, social media is your friend. When people say social media, oh, my God, that's awful. I said, it saved my life. I raised $20,000 by creating a GoFundMe. Mm -hmm. You know, I had this massive surgery when they did this seven-hour neck surgery that I knew it was going to take me a year to heal. How the heck was I going to do that? You know, I didn't have anybody to, to yeah, just six, take care of me. This is a whole other podcast, but $680 million last year was raising GoFundMe for medical stuff. Don't you think that the system's a little $20, broken? I raised $20,000 for so medical you, stuff. Yeah. It helped me, helped me go organic. Mm -hmm. It helped me pay for juicing. It helped me pay my rent. Mm -hmm. It helped me, you know, I wasn't living large. Yeah. But I was getting myself healthy. I have a good support system. I was living large because that is what living large is, being healthy. You know, we really take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Until something happens to us, you know, do we all want to have money? Yes, we do. But all the money in the world cannot make you healthy. Right. You need to make yourself healthy. Amen. Thanks again to Tara for coming on, sharing her story, and helping people get hope in their journey. To see more of her accomplishments, don't forget to check out our show notes page at woodstockvitamins.com slash podcast. So to reach out to Tara, if you're a patient looking for some guidance or someone who wishes to follow in her footsteps and become a Cancer Hope Coach, give her a ring at 845-853-5118 or email, and this one is a little bit tough, haratarame at aol.com, H-A-R-A-T-A-R-A-M-E at aol.com. And that's it for this week. And geez, we're almost calling it quits on 2019. So here's to a successful public fistfight free holiday season, everybody. Keep listening, keep learning, and be well. <laughs>